and thanks for tuning in to the Breast Cancer Action Podcast. Breast Cancer Action is not your average breast cancer organization, and this is not your average podcast. We're people-powered and we're fiercely independent, radical and compassionate. We never shy away from the hard truths. We bring you the facts and we tell it like it is about breast cancer and what you can do about it. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Heather Sarantis, environmental health consultant with Breast Cancer Action, and I'll be your guest podcast host today. Breast cancer is one of the most commonly diagnosed cancers for women worldwide. In recent decades, researchers have identified more than 200 chemicals that may increase the risk for this devastating disease. These chemicals come from industrial emissions, burning fossil fuels, using consumer products, and other sources. Despite these scientific advances, there are big gaps in the way different cancer organizations acknowledge these risks. Some organizations, like Breast Cancer Action, actively work on raising awareness about the link between environmental exposures and breast cancer risk. Other organizations omit or downplay the connections. The National Cancer Institute, or NCI, is one of the leading organizations that underrepresents the links between chemical exposure and breast cancer risk. The NCI is the federal government's principal agency for cancer research and training. It oversees the largest cancer research fund in the world and hosts a leading go-to cancer information website for patients, healthcare providers, and the general public. This withholding of information not only affects individuals and healthcare providers' ability to identify protective measures, it also hamstrings important national efforts to create systemic changes that can support breast cancer prevention. Here to help us understand what this all means today is Dr. Julia Brody. Dr. Brody is the Executive Director and Senior Scientist at Silent Spring Institute. Founded in 1994, Silent Spring Institute is the leading scientific research organization dedicated to uncovering the links between chemicals in our everyday environment and women's health with a focus on breast cancer prevention. Dr. Brody is a nationally recognized expert on environmental chemicals and breast cancer as well as a leader in community-based research and public engagement in science. Her work has helped set the compass for how this country thinks of, understands, and acts to prevent breast cancer. I'm so happy to have her as our guest today. So, Julia, thank you for joining me and welcome. Thanks for inviting me. For starters, can you lay a foundation of what we do and do not know about breast cancer risk, especially related to the risk from chemical exposures? First of all, we know that most breast cancer is not due to inherited genes. Only 5 or 10% is due to high-risk inherited genes. Women who are diagnosed with breast cancer are more aware of this than other people because 80% of them don't have anyone in their family who's been diagnosed with breast cancer before. The second thing we know about breast cancer is that there are vulnerabilities across the life course during periods when the breast is developing including before birth, during puberty, and uh, during the first full-term pregnancy. So these are times when the breast is more susceptible to exposure to a carcinogen. We also know that there are multiple biological pathways that affect this disease, not just a traditional carcinogen, which damages DNA, but also chemicals that might affect how a tumor grows or affect how the breast develops before birth and whether it's susceptible to a carcinogen later in life. And from the perspective of Silent Spring Institute, with our focus on environmental chemicals, we would note that 
there are hundreds of chemicals, as you said earlier, that affect these biological pathways to breast cancer, uh, chemicals that have been shown to cause mammary gland tumors in animals, chemicals that can mimic or disrupt estrogen, which is a known breast cancer risk factor. And these are chemicals that are very common exposures. They could be in air pollution and uh, drinking water in some places. And they're in a lot of everyday consumer products, including cleaners and cosmetics and personal care products and even furniture and all kinds of things that we use every day around the house without thinking much about them. So when we think about chemical exposure, it's one of those things where we could take individual action at times, but really we're so overly exposed in all aspects of our lives that we need to understand these risks at a bigger level, at a societal level, and take protective measures also at a societal level. Would you say that's fair? Yes. Uh, we just did uh, an interesting study, a crowdsourced biomonitoring study, to see how much people could change their body burden of some of these chemicals. And in fact, uh, by reading the product labels, participants in our study were able to lower their body burden of some of the endocrine disruptors. So uh, like parabens, for example, if you read the label and avoid it, you have less in your body. But there were also other chemicals like BPA, where even if people were trying to avoid it, they weren't able to reduce their body burden. And then, of course, there are many products where you don't know what's in the product because in the U.S., uh, manufacturers don't have to tell us all the ingredients. And, and, of course, air pollution and drinking water, we don't always know what we're exposed to. And these really need to be addressed at the societal level. So um, one more scientific exploration before we dive into the National Cancer Institute. Um, can you explain for a non-scientific audience what kind of data and research methods make some people conclude that there are environmental links to breast cancer while others do not? Well, I think that we haven't had a strong focus on prevention science and what kind of evidence we need for prevention. People are more used to thinking about clinical trials and research where you do an experiment where half the people are exposed to a therapeutic, they get some treatment and half don't, and then you look to see what happened. We would never do that for environmental chemicals. We would never expose half the baby girls to pesticides and half not, and then wait 50 or 60 years to see who gets breast cancer. So we need a different kind of framework for thinking about prevention science. And I think some organizations haven't really focused their, their framework on a prevention science way of looking at things. So we have, we have room to improve. And uh, I think it's, it's important to note, you say we wouldn't expose young girls to chemicals and then see what happens. Um, so in a laboratory or a research environment, we wouldn't do that. But we actually do that all the time to people living out in the world. Um, we're just not tracking it uh, the way that it's done in a research environment. That's a very important point. And it also reminds me that there is one very important study that does give us information over decades about how chemicals can affect breast cancer later on. The Child Health and Development Studies, which uh, started in Oakland, California, and recruited moms 
who were giving birth at the Kaiser Hospital in the 1950s and 60s collected uh, blood samples around the time the moms were giving birth and then followed both the moms and the daughters. And uh, from that study, we do see 50 years later a higher breast cancer risk associated with the early DDT exposures in both the moms and the daughters. That's really an important study and important evidence for us to pay attention to. It's not the kind of study you can do over again, and we don't want to be relying on waiting 50 years to find out if chemicals that are in use now are causing breast cancer. But we do have other kinds of science that can help us. You know, we always would test drugs in animals before we give them to people. And we can also use laboratory animals to learn about effects on breast cancer. The National Toxicology Program uh, and other scientists have tested only a small fraction of the chemicals that are in use, but they, they have provided us some evidence. And there are about 100 chemicals that women are widely exposed to that do cause mammary gland tumors in animals. That's very important evidence to pay attention to. And similarly, we can test chemicals in cells and see if they are, if they're causing breast cancer cells to grow in a laboratory. That would be something to pay attention to when we think about whether we want to have that chemical in consumer products. Absolutely. Well, now that we have a, a good foundation of the scientific understanding, um, let's dive into the National Cancer Institute. So they're a leading organization. They're nationally and internationally significant. Um, can you explain what role NCI plays in the field of cancer, the influence it has over how we think about and address cancer generally and breast cancer specifically? Well, I think you pointed out already that they're a really important funder of research, but also source of information about cancer. Patients and their families and clinicians and also the news media look to NCI for up-to-date science-based information about cancer. And that's going to shape how people think about the potential for prevention and what we can do now to prevent breast cancers. Um, so how exactly does the NCI represent environmental links to breast cancer? Right now, the information on the NCI website about breast cancer prevention is quite sparse. Um, their patient information says simply that studies have not proven that being exposed to certain substances in the environment increases the risk of breast cancer. I would say that that's not really helpful. Um, you know, you don't just take your umbrella out when you're 100% sure it's going to rain. So looking for proof isn't really the right mindset for prevention. Instead, you want to look at what we do know now and how does the evidence add up and what is the best research approach to fill the knowledge gaps as quickly as we can. So I would really love to see NCI take additional steps to fill in those gaps. Yeah, that would be um, really powerful. They are not the only federal agency that has addressed breast cancer, of course. There are other different agencies and working groups that have looked into these environmental links to breast cancer. Um, I wonder if you can say a little bit about some of the other important efforts that have happened and the gap between what they say and what the NCI says about environmental links to breast cancer. 
Uh, well, there are a number of, oh, I'd say half a dozen major expert groups that have reviewed the evidence and made significant statements that, that recommend reducing exposure to breast carcinogens and to chemicals that disrupt hormones. Uh, an example of that would be the Institute of Medicine report on uh, how breast cancer is influenced by environmental factors over the life course. That report said it would be sensible to reduce these exposures, especially when a risky chemical is not needed or can be easily substituted. Other major statements have been from the Endocrine Society, the American Academy of Pediatrics, uh, the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, and uh, in fact, the NIH Breast Cancer and Environment Research Program, which is a collaboration of NCI and the National Institute of Environmental Health Sciences. What these documents say is that we do have enough information to act now to take sensible steps to reduce exposures to certain chemicals when we have evidence from studies in women or if chemicals cause mammary gland tumors in rodent studies or if we have evidence that they disrupt estrogen, this would be the kind of evidence that would be a basis for taking action now. The benefits of reducing these exposures will extend well beyond breast cancer. And that's why some of these major uh, medical societies have, have made statements about it. For example, the American Academy of Pediatrics that are, are they're not thinking primarily about breast cancer. They're thinking about the other benefits of reducing these exposures. Right now, for instance, many of the chemicals that we're concerned about for breast cancer also add to vulnerability to COVID-19. For example, uh, air pollutants include breast carcinogens, but they are also affecting respiratory health and uh, susceptibility to bad outcomes from COVID-19. And I don't know if you've heard about PFAS, Per and polyfluoroalkyl substances, they're non-stick and stain-resistant chemicals that are widely used. And they affect breast development in laboratory studies, but they also affect immune function, so potentially increasing vulnerability to, to COVID-19 as well. Well, it's important when we look at public health to solve as many problems at the same time as possible. So raising the awareness about these breast carcinogens, environmental exposures, and breast cancer risk could actually be powerful far beyond, you know, people who are concerned about breast cancer. It could actually have a great impact on national health overall. Exactly. I also have been thinking about, you know, these other organizations that have made these statements it just feels like there's this bottleneck between what major working groups have said and other organizations catching up. So hopefully, with some attention, the NCI could start to incorporate some of these other recommendations into the way they think about and consider sharing information with the public and with healthcare providers about environmental exposures that increase breast cancer risk. Yeah, a starting point would be to give higher profile to the research that they've supported. For example, the Breast Cancer and Environment Research Program, uh, BSERP has its own website, which has some very useful information about exposure reduction. Uh, and NCI could start by just linking to and highlighting that program. Um, they also were supporters, along with NIEHS, 
of the Long Island study, which has become the the uh, foundation for a very important body of research on the effects of PAHs, which are in air pollution and vehicle exhaust, as well as other sources. And this body of research is now showing that exposures to PAHs in conjunction with genes that affect cell repair can increase breast cancer risk. So if you have exposure to something that damages your cells and then your your genetic makeup makes it harder for you to repair them, you end up more at risk for breast cancer. So uh, it would be great if NCI would give more uh, prominence to this research that they supported. Yeah, I think it's important for the people who go to the website, but also for just the way the sort of the trickle-down effect to how other organizations think about and consider these issues. I mean, you were part of a team that led a study on the barriers and opportunities for breast cancer organizations to focus on environmental health and disease prevention. Um, My takeaway from reading the study was that many breast cancer organizations would be open to focusing on prevention related to chemical exposures if they were better equipped to take this on. And of course, being better equipped it starts with having the major organizations like NCI and, and other big organizations share what we already know. So I wonder if you could explain a little bit about this study, why you did it, and what the findings might indicate is both needed and possible in the field. Well, we did it because Silent Spring Institute was founded with a concept of partnership between breast cancer activists and scientists. We were really founded by breast cancer activists. And indeed, a lot of the research on environmental factors in breast cancer was generated by activism, not just here in Massachusetts, where Silent Spring is located, but also on Long Island and in California and around the country. The Long Island study and the Breast Cancer and Environment Research Program and the founding of Silent Spring Institute all came out of grassroots breast cancer activism. So we were curious to see if the knowledge uh, from BSERP and from the Long Island study were getting back to the grassroots. So we conducted interviews with breast cancer grassroots organizations all around the country. And we also did a systematic analysis of breast cancer websites. Uh, We found that breast cancer leaders were really hungry for this information. They are very interested and eager to learn about environmental chemicals in breast cancer, but they also are very busy and uh, concerned with providing support to women who've been newly diagnosed. So they they need the major cancer organizations to vet this information and make it accessible so that they can then disseminate it to their organizations with confidence. We found uh, when we looked at the websites that there are a few organizations like Breast Cancer Action and Silent Spring Institute that are providing this kind of information, but the grassroots organizations are often looking to places like NCI and not finding what they need. So if NCI um, took up more leadership or just exposed more information that already has been established around these environmental links, do you think there would be things happening that we don't even can't even conceive of right now in terms of the possibilities of moving towards a more prevention oriented society or approach to policy change? 
Yes, I think that people don't realize how big the opportunity is. If NCI were to start giving higher uh, visibility to the opportunities, that things would happen all the, all the way from people making their own choices about their own products to getting involved in civic uh, arenas where decisions are being made for schools and communities and up to national policies. And it would also change the, the scope of research in the future. I think we're really missing some important opportunities because people don't realize that they don't when you think about the Clean Air Act, you don't think about this as something that's affecting exposure to breast carcinogens, but it, it is. And people should be realizing that our basic environmental protections are breast cancer prevention programs in many cases. Yeah, they go hand in hand. So um, in our conversation, you've touched on a number of, of these topics, but I wonder if you could just give a good summary overview of what changes you would like to see NCI make in order to advance breast cancer prevention. I would like to see them make a bigger investment in the research, first of all. I'm hopeful about this because there is a new announcement that they're creating some new cancer cohorts, and I hope that they will include some measurements of environmental chemicals so that we can add to our knowledge base. As NCI updates its communications about environmental chemicals and breast cancer, I would hope that they would help people understand the reasons that it's difficult to study this relationship, that it can take decades after an exposure before cancer is diagnosed, and the exposures are often invisible, so patients can't report on them. And that's why scientists need to rely on a combination of evidence from studies in people and controlled experiments in laboratory animals and cells. I think uh, NCI could be very helpful in explaining how we do know that chemicals are biologically active in ways that influence breast cancer and helping people sort through this information to make important decisions about reducing exposures for themselves and also uh, through public policies. Do you have any um, closing thoughts that you'd like to make, Julie? The role of NCI as a resource isn't just for members of the public, although that's important. They also are influencing science. And if they give more attention to prevention and environmental chemicals, uh, that will shape what kinds of science get proposed. Well, so the, the dominoes that fall if NCI makes some of these changes are significant. It'll change the way research is conducted. It'll change the way the public understands these issues. It'll change the way healthcare providers even consider the legitimacy of this issue of prevention-oriented um, healthcare. And it'll probably change the way advocates across the country approach this work, because if an NCI domino were to fall in this area, there would be a ripple effect that is beyond what we can even imagine right now. And in five or 10 years, we might see an entirely different conversation happening. But it just takes the leadership of an institution like NCI stepping forward into the next level of advancement in how they consider these issues and putting public health first and a protective approach first in the way that they do their work. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Julia Brody, for joining me today. Overall, only large-scale systemic change can address the root causes of breast cancer. We need more research on environmental links to breast cancer, and we need stronger policies to protect us from both known and potential chemical risks. A key part of this effort includes ensuring that leading institutions like the National Cancer Institute provides information about both known and potential chemical exposures that may increase our risk for breast cancer. This gives individuals the knowledge they need to change what is in their control, and it also sets an appropriate bar for both research and policy institutions to focus on protective measures that can help reduce everyone's risk for breast cancer. We are hopeful that if the National Cancer Institute updated its approach to sharing information on links between chemical exposure and breast cancer, there would be new potential to shift society toward a more health protective approach, which ultimately, we believe, could save the lives of the people we love. Please join Breast Cancer Action in our efforts to protect women's health. Hey, thanks for listening to the Breast Cancer Action podcast. All of our podcasts are available on Apple Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, and Spotify. Give us a five-star review and be sure to subscribe. We want to hear from you. Tell us your stories, share your questions. Let us know who you want to hear from and who we should invite as a guest on the show. You can share your ideas by emailing info at bcaction.org or reaching out on Facebook or Twitter. While you're there, sign up for the emails to get the latest on all the rest of Breast Cancer Action's work. And if you value what you heard today, please support our work by donating on our website, bcaction.org because together we can do something besides worry.